Hey everybody, it's Drew from Sleep With Me, and I'm believe it or not, I'm live here uh, from Golden Gate Park, recorded live, uh, and I've got a little announcement. We're teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you two exclusive episodes. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlist clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. Each playlist has its own topic or theme. You could try out the Music Decoded playlist with clips all about unpacking and analyzing music, uh, or Slice of Life, which is all about the crazy or incredible things that happen to everyday people. Also, Spoke has fun, exclusive content from Farrell. And that's why I'm here live at Golden Gate Park. I just concluded uh, recording one of these episodes that's only going to be available exclusively on Spoke. I'm lying here in the grass. Uh, you definitely do not want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Sleep With Me's exclusive Spoke episodes. You can find them all at Spoke.com slash sleep with me that's spoke.com slash sleep with me check it out uh and i'll see you in golden gate park at stowe lake bye guys i want to tell you about a great sponsor i have bompus they're premium high performance athletic socks and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off and because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters for every pair of socks purchased bompus donates one pair of those to those in need almost one million pairs donated to date 15 percent off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. How are you, everybody? Uh, if you have not listened to the show before, I thank you and I uh, welcome you for coming. And if you're one of those old listeners, you know how this fucking goes. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I say the same thing at the top of every show. I describe what the show is. And sometimes I just wonder if people are like, fast forward. <laughs> Because, you know, I have these loose conversations with people, and it's not uh, very... And if you don't listen to the show, then you don't know what it is. But I'm also like, well, maybe they, I should just let them listen and figure it out. Because uh, I think you're smart. You're definitely probably smarter than me. Uh, today's guest is... Uh, in an, he's been on the show before. He's also been a huge supporter of the show, Mr. Danny Bland. Uh, I would have to say he is one of my favorite uh, writers that walks the earth. Uh, his book last year, uh, In Case We Die, I guess that was last year. I'm a terrible judge of time. In my opinion, everybody is still the age they are when I met him. <laughs> so, like, if I met you at 14, you're still 14 to me, even if you're, you know, 52. But uh, Danny Bland uh, also has this book coming out with that he collaborated with uh, with Greg Dooley. Maybe you ever heard of him, Afghan Wigs, everybody. Uh, it's, I apologize in advance for the awful things I'm going to do. And... Uh, photos by Greg Dooley, and it is, uh, it's a goddamn, it's, it's haiku poems, and, but they are the, they are thrilling, seedy, little stories, 
And I, f- I mentioned this in the interview, but I found myself reading the book so quickly that I had to, like, I had to stop and go, all right, relax, settle down, and go back and read it, because it's quite good. Quite good. Danny Bland, one of my most popular guests on the show, one of my most listened-to episodes, so you might want to go check back uh, his first appearance. He's also been incredibly supportive of my show, which has been great. He's helped me uh, get some great guests for me, such as uh, Dave Elvin and... Uh, uh, the artist there, Mr. Fitzpatrick. Um, so it's been a t- Tony Fitzpatrick. I was blanking on the first name there. Also not good with names. Not good with t- time and names. Faces. Really good with faces. I got those. So if you ever mug me, you're fucked because I'll remember, I'll remember your face. Uh, so there, there you go. Uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, li- life has been really weird lately, man. It has been a very like uh, Kelly and I, my girlfriend, and if you go to my website, thematdwire dot com, she d- does all the photos for these shows and stuff. And uh, we got engaged. Super great day. Couldn't you know? It's like I'm you know the probably the easiest, hands down, my best day of my life. Uh, th- and uh, the day after that, incredibly, we kept drinking champagne throughout the next day. But that makes it sound like we didn't stop and we, like we were doing eight balls of coke. But we. You know, later on, the following day, we were like, let's celebrate some more. Uh, And then just life has gotten weird, man. I mean, I guess that's life. But, you know, uh, people always try to associate it with, uh, you know, some sort of cosmos thing. But I think it's just life is just a, it has nothing to do with a Gilbon star out there or something. But uh, yeah, it's just been real challenging. And it's like, and like to, like our, one of our dogs got really sick and almost died. I had a friend reach out to me, friend of 25 years, reach out to me because he wanted to work on some things, like t- uh, tell me his feelings about our friendship, and because uh, we've had a kind of a tumultuous up and down friendship, and uh, he did it solely to hurt me, just to like make it seem like we uh, this uh, we were gonna like he was like upset about some things, and then. It was really weird. It was just really weird. Why would someone do that? Like, if you don't want to be my friend, how about you just don't be my friend? And uh, I just, uh, the weird thing is he kept saying, like, how he's a better person now and not the person he used to be who was kind of abusive and insult people. And then he did exactly what he always does. And that's, like, hurt and insult me. So I was like, I was like, yeah, I don't know if you're really, uh, if you've really grown as a person. Uh, if because you're doing exactly the reason I kind of distance myself from you as a friend. The world is strange, and I don't know. I uh, not that I'm like Mister Together, you know. I I'm uh, 46. I don't have a. I was gonna say I don't have a credit card. Like that's an important thing to have. And I actually, <clears throat> first of all, I don't have a credit card because I know like 15 years ago I would have been in a bar and I would have been like, you know, five drinks in, I would have been, who wants some free drinks? And I would be like a champion for a night and then like $20,000 in debt the rest of my life because I tried to, you know, impress some skirt in the <laughs> who probably would not have gone home with me anyway. So I figured maybe uh, in a weird act of uh, uh, sort of awareness to maybe not get myself a credit card. But I always think it's weird. That, uh, like, if you say you don't have a credit card, people are like, really? Like, you're not a human being if you don't have a credit card. And now you can't buy drinks on an airplane without a card. You used to be able to pay cash. And I just uh, feel, 
I'm not getting all conspiracy theory, but it's like, you know, it's an another thing that's making you feel like, hey, you don't have a credit card, you're a piece of shit. Um, I don't think I have credit at all, quite honestly. I think I'm, so anytime I look for an apartment, I get real, real goddamn nervous because I'm like, are they going to think I'm like some, like, Al-Qaeda operative, just like sort of working on the fringes of things? I also thought, too, this is a thought I had earlier this week, and then I, I actually tweeted it, and I didn't know if it was a bad idea. But I was like, because uh, I was like, you know, it's like there's Al-Qaeda and ISIS. And I was like, their names are kind of weak. <laughs> like, <laughs> Al-Qaeda sounds like, you know, a place, you know, like a Persian place you go and get some nice food or something. It doesn't, it doesn't really sound, or ISIS. Neither of these are menacing names. They're menacing groups. Yes, I'll admit that. But, the, you know, it's like, wouldn't it be better if they just, like, named themselves, like, we're the holy dick punchers? Or, you know, the, the f fuck you fuck you american we're, we're coming we're coming to shit on your, your christmas party <laughs> it's like, i don't know it's just like isis it's just very like it sounds like a isis just sounds like a skate roller skating team that wears a lot of glitter and carries around like sparklers or something and dances to disco i don't know that's my thought way off track there uh so we're gonna get to this conversation with danny band just so you know it's a goddamn good one and you should buy his book that he did with Greg Dooley on, uh, you can get it at Sub Pop, uh, you know, the fancy uh, record label, Sub Pop Records. You can go to subpop.com and get it, or go to your cool cool person bookstores and uh, get it. And I highly, and In Case We Die by Danny Bland. It's a great show. Uh, great books. Great life. Here's Mr. Danny Bland. <laughs> Bringing over a suitcase, meeting a strange guy in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like taxi driver. Well, and it, I don't. It doesn't seem to be something that um, is strange to you, or you know, it's like it's like you're. Not, I'm concerned about how naively you run around and do these things. <coughs> I'm, what I'm freaked out about is people have let me into their homes, like complete, like when I did that road trip thing. Like, I went, that uh, beat poet chick I interviewed, it's like, this 90-year-old woman, we could have, she and she didn't have internet or, so she had no way to really know who the fuck I was. So I could have just beat the shit out of her. <laughs> well, well, she must have alerted somebody, right? She, her boyfriend and bring, was and, there. And, and mostly, most of the time you bring a nice lady with you, so that solves troubles. Yes. I imagine. Some of my favorite mass murderers were couples, though. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't know the names. Do you ever go to the Death Museum? Uh, Which is actually a piece of shit. But there's where is that one? Oh, the one in Hollywood. Yeah, I like that one. I, I like it because it's um, it has a very DIY feel to it. That's true. And I've been to it several times. In the um, and the criminal mind that I have, the first thing that I thought of when I saw it was. Um, and almost, and the first thing I think of when I go into most places, like I'm a, I'm immediately aware of cameras and where they're at. I mean, the first thing I think of is like, what do I want to steal in here? 
And the second thing is, is, is I, in almost at the same time, I sort of uh, evaluate or check out the camera situation wherever I am. So in, in that particular museum, it would be very, very easy just to walk out with a John Wayne Gacy painting Without, I mean, only you just have to go in there and walk out with it. What is like the big fat goth guy behind the desk going to stop you? I mean, I mean, not going to stop me, but uh, um, just it just would be so much so easy to steal so much stuff from there. Yeah, the time we went, there was nobody there. Not that I would want a John Wayne Gacy painting, but uh, I know that there's not going to be any more of them, and a <laughs> collector <laughs> would certainly pay a price for it. But like I said, that's. Maybe he's like Tupac. That's, and just that's a criminal on. mind that I still possess but no longer act on. When did you start developing your criminal mind? Because your books are rather criminal. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, as a <coughs> shoplifting, as a kid, of course, I uh, uh, it was a thrill, but I never really, I never really shop, I never really shoplifted anything bigger than some candy or something. The the uh, and that made me think of, and I admire shoplifters quite a bit. And and the best shoplifter that I ever knew, I still know to this day, although I don't think he does it anymore, is uh, Eddie Spaghetti from the Super Suckers. Amazing. I've seen him shoplift a, like a gallon of milk and uh, a box of Chips Ahoy from a Seven Eleven. Seven Elevens aren't easy to shoplift from. There's not a lot of room room to get me, but a gallon of milk. Like you have to be. Good. How do you get a gallon of milk out of a Seven Eleven? You just stick it in your jacket and walk out. Like, it's it's all. I mean, it's like walking into, um, or it's like ro- walking into a rock club when you're underage. If you walk the right way, you're you're gonna get in. If you walk in with purpose, if you walk through the back door, or, you know, um, a- as a as a as a tour manager, even though. I often don't wear the laminates or the stickers or the wristbands they give us, but when you walk in there, if you walk in there with purpose, then most people are going to let you just pass on by. Have you done that ever? Walked backstage in shows and just been like, I'm fucking here. Often. <laughs> yeah, often. The, um, the, w- when I first met Dave Alvin was doing that. Oh, really? Walking backstage at a, uh, at a blaster show when I was a kid. Yeah. I think it was in Tucson in, like, in the early 80s. And in this particular club, the the backstage was uh, the dressing rooms or whatever was were downstairs in some sort of basementy type thing, which is unusual for the desert. <coughs> and uh, yeah, I just walked down there and and uh, and met Lee Allen and and the Blasters for the first time. And was anybody like, hey, what the fuck? Or was uh, or were they just like, hey, whatever? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just you just walk with purpose, and and that's this that's the, I think that's the trick to shoplifting too, and and uh, in a lot of crime. <laughs> See, I've always been tuning around. I'm terrified of like I've always been, and I don't know if that was just because my dad beat me too much. I'd like there was a like he could beat me not enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say um, the well, it, it is uh, at first. I'm, I'm turning this shit off. Um, the uh, I'm trying to think what, uh, but yeah, like I said, my my the, my criminal activity. Uh, uh, multiplied substantially when I met Eddie Spaghetti, because <laughs> he's so good at it. I, 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 and and uh, yeah, he would. I mean, he could shoplift uh, LPs from a record store. Like, 
not CDs, but LPs in his jacket. He's he's amazing. That's pretty neat. And uh, we would we would go crazy in, in a grocery store. You know, when we were all when, when me and the super suckers were all living together back in the junkie days, we would go nuts just shoving meat down the front of our pants and everything. <laughs> right? Were people just also <coughs> kind of like generally maybe intimidated by your presence, so they were just like, "Fuck it, let them go." Uh, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I used that later on. You know, later on in in other uh, in other criminal activities, which I, um. Which I'm not sure. What is that called? The uh, statute statute of limitations are on. Uh, so, I, like I said, I don't generally talk about them in detail. But um, <laughs> uh, it, you're the, this is the first on my show of somebody questioning uh, the statute of limitations. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised by that because uh, you've had a lot of real low life on your show. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you always have such an attraction to? Like, as a kid, were you? Kind of like attracted to this CD element of things. It, uh, yeah, as far back as I can remember, for sure. You know, and and it was. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it started with, um, like the first two. Um, bad elements that I remember relating to were the Rolling Stones, and the Black Panthers. And that was would be as far back as being like I kind of remember that when I was about 10 years old which would would have been which would have been like 1973 and I remember I remember I remember seeing Panther stuff on the news and just saying I want to be in that gang that's my <laughs> gang <laughs> I was attracted to like I was always like Huggy Bear I thought was cool sure uh not uh and Boom Boom Washington from <laughs> The I don't know, but I would like there was something like I was like these guys are way cooler than any fucking white guy. Sure, the, it's funny. The um, welcome back, Cotter, was because I lived. Uh, I was in um, a military family. My father was a marine, so we moved around a lot. We lived overseas. And my my mom is from New Zealand, so if he was be if he would be um, uh, now, granted, I have a drug-addled mind, so I might be remembering this a little off. <laughs> But if he would be in, uh, if he was stationed someplace strange, or say in at in Vietnam fighting the war, then we would live in New Zealand, uh, and um, my mom had all her family was there, so we would live in New Zealand. And we first um, moved to the states when I was uh, when I was sort of older and conscious of what was going on around me uh, when I was about twelve or thirteen, and it was nineteen seventy six. So. I don't know if you remember, America in 1976 was going mental on the bicentennial. So every fucking thing was red, white, and blue. And I was just a kid moving there from New Zealand, and I thought it was like that all the time. <laughs> thought, Holy shit. And I had some cousins or some, uh, we, were, we were visiting relatives, and I had some cousins who were doing their impersonation of characters from Welcome Back, Cotter, for me, which I had never seen because it wasn't on in New Zealand. And... I could not understand what they were talking about at all, or how it was funny, or how it was how it even could work in a television show. It just it was beyond because they would just do like do do your boom boom do your Freddie Washington and and they'd go hi there and fall apart laughing. <laughs> I and remember I that <laughs> people doing this and usually pretty terrible impressions, but oh yeah. yeah yeah 
was it was was your dad like uh, overbearing? Was it like Great Santini or no, no? Because um, that's how I always think every military dad's going to be like Robert Duvall and Great Santini. Not really. I think I I, I was just it was funny because I was just looking at a picture of my parents today uh, from their wedding day, and I was looking at them. They're so young. Like my mom was twenty and my dad was twenty-two, uh, I believe. And um, no, that's when I was born. So, say a year earlier, they got married. And uh, and I, I think of myself at that age, and like, it's just insane. Like they, she, you know, so so she would have been in in New Zealand, and then they get they pretty much got transferred to uh, um, Buford, South Carolina, where I was born. So she was in in beautiful New Zealand. And then she's uh, in a, you know, in a trailer home in South Carolina in the middle of July, <coughs> filled up with baby Danny Bland. It must have just been a nightmare. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> it's. I mean, you know, summers down there. I just. It just must have been insane. But she, he was not like that. I mean, he didn't really talk about work at all. I mean, I. I think I don't like we. I don't think that we communicated very well as a family, but. I don't really sort of, I don't begrudge them that. I just don't think anyone, there weren't really, there's not a lot of instructions. There weren't a lot of instructions passed out back then. Now there's books about everything and parenting for dummies and how to raise a boy and blah, blah, on and on and on. I think they were just a couple kids who crapped out some babies and, and what are you supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's, I think that my parents were married. Their dad was 21, my mom was 17 or something. I'm like, yeah. you don't even know, who, like you don't know who, I don't think until like thirty you start going. Oh, hey, I'd kind of get a concept of who I am. Maybe, yeah. I, I, I would. I mean, I don't think. I don't know. I, 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 um. I think I change, not who I am at the core, but I make. I'm, it's pretty different every decade, you know. The, uh, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I haven't really decided. I. I, I I still find I have a difficult time at the age of 51 as calling myself a man. Like <laughs> someone says, hey, <laughs> that man over there, that sort of turned around and like, oh, he's talking. They're talking about me. Oh. Yeah. I, I guess I am. Because <laughs> I felt like most of my, t- uh, my 20s were just a total fuck off. Mm-hmm. And probably most of my 30s, though there was that panic of like, oh, fuck, I really haven't achieved what I thought I would be doing by 35. Still at 45, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. Right. But then I st- you start process uh, you like because I've been processing a lot of like what I've done with my life now in my forties and that's a real weird place to be. Yeah, the there's there's a few birthdays like when I when I turn thirty that's a weird one like going in when because you can turn thirty, but it's weird when someone asks you how old you are and then you have to say it. That's strange. Like I, I remember, I turned thirty. I was on tour with the. I was in the Dwarfs, and I remember the day that I turned thirty. I was driving across Texas with uh, all night long. We were driving all the way across Texas. The Dwarfs were all uh, inebriated and passed out in the van. I was sober and driving all night long, and I had a good long time to think about what I had done. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, I kind of, like, I I kind of am shocked. I mean, I didn't expect to be around, I think, for a, or at least I didn't live like a guy who wanted to be around much. Right. I, pe- yeah, people say that. I, I, and I don't think I even thought about it enough to consider my mortality. It's like, it was just go, you know, it was just like, 
consume everything. And I didn't even take time to think about my mortality or, or what I was doing to myself. And so it was just like from, from the second I left the house to when I got sober at the age of 28, it was just consume booze, drugs, women, or everything that was put in front of me at all times as much as possible and with no consideration or even time to think about mortality or You've been sober a long time. Yeah. That's got to be hard, though, in the rock and roll world. I mean, it's... Uh, Well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Yeah. I mean, in comedy world, if you quit drinking or something, people really are like, are you fucking out of your mind? (laughs) Well, here's... here's, Like, when I went to... When I finally ended up going to a treatment center, I I didn't know anyone else who had been to one. I had no idea what it was going to be like. I thought it was going to be like like a Marine Corps boot camp. I thought they were going to shave my head. I was going to be running obstacle courses, uh, praying, or just doing everything that I did not want to do. And and at the time, when it, when it happened, I was ready to do all that because I knew I had run out of options and I was ready to get clean and sober, even though I didn't know what those words meant, really. Uh, but I was ready because I knew that my plans were, that if I kept going the way I was going, I was just... I mean, I was going to be dead and, and or in prison. So uh, so I went into treatment, and, and I had been playing in bands, and I had, you know, I'd been booking bands. I'd been doing everything I had ever done was um, uh, either in the music business or some shit job to pay my rent while I was still in the music business. And I thought that that was it. I thought I was done with it, but I, it, it's weird. I, I had a, I had a, Count. It's weird how uh, people get placed in your life at the exact right time. So I had this guy named uh, Tom Bukowski, not not Bukowski, but I might even pronounce it wrong, but something like that. He was a New Yorker, and he was my counselor, and uh, uh, and. We got to talking, you know, we were talking about our interests. So, so I was, we talking about writing, or I was talking about books and rock and roll and all that stuff. And he's, he was like, it turns out that, he, that Tom used to run with Jim Carroll. Like one of the books and one of the characters in the basketball diary is Tom. And now he's my drug counselor. And, and, and we, you know, we got to talking. I'm like, you know, well, obviously I can't play music anymore. And he's like, well, why not? You know, uh, Mike Ness plays music, and he just started naming all these people. Like uh, for my counselor, who who was just who seemed to be like this weird this jock, he just started naming off all these artists that I knew who were clean and sober, and, and uh, it was what I needed to hear right then. And I never really and and I've never had a difficult time. Now, I would not recommend what I did to other people because basically, I went into a treatment center about halfway. Th- through that, Blag from the Dwarves called me up, said, when you get out of there, come join the Dwarves. <laughs> and, you know, 90 days, at 90 days clean and sober, I was in a tour bus in Europe with the Reverend Horton Heat, the Super Suckers, and the Dwarves all shoved into one tour bus. They were all going fucking mental. And I was in my bunk with the curtains drawn, pretending to pray. Because I didn't know what else to do. (laughs) But it was fine. 
We're going to take a break from the conversation for one quick moment. I just want to ask for your help. If you can go to the Feral Audio page and go to the Conversations with Matt DeWire page and uh, click on the Amazon link and maybe put that in your toolbar or something. So anytime you buy something on Amazon, we get a kickback of that money a little bit and it helps support Feral Audio and my podcast. There's no advertising on my show, so it's a great way to support. Also, if you can donate some money, that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, we always are in need of equipment or uh, new microphones and stuff, so that would be grateful. Also, go to themattdwyer.com. You can see some photos of this uh, episode up there. It might be, ta- be a couple days after this airs, but um, there's uh, photos from all my podcasts uh, and road trips and stuff, so check out themattdwyer.com. Back to the conversation. It's funny that you brought up basketball diaries because when I wanted – we were talking about the CD element, and I was thinking of, like, when I was a kid, the first books that I came across that – or somebody gave me was, like, Notes from a Dirty Old Man and yeah. Basketball Diaries, which were, like, the first time – like, it wasn't, like, shit you read in high school. It was stuff and that just – I was like, oh, my God, there's this whole world out there, and I want to be in that disgusting, awful world. <laughs> <laughs> like, I read that and Tom Waits songs. I was like, yeah, I want to exactly. find these weird places. I remember the, fir- the first time I saw Tom Waits was on, he was, it was, it had to be like 76 or 77, maybe even earlier, I don't know, 76, and I was came home from school and I was eating, I was eating Oreos and drinking milk and watching the little TV in the kitchen, the Dinah Shore show was on. He was on Dinah Shore? And Tom Waits was on the Dinah Shore show, and he was sitting there talking, and they, had, they would have a semicircle, and it was, I don't know, it was Dinah Shore, and maybe, I don't know, some whatever sitcom stars were at the time. And Tom Waits was sitting there and he was rocking back and forth and he was smoking a cigarette like on the show. And he was, uh, and he couldn't understand a word he was saying. And my mom looked at him and said, he's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I want to be just like him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like your world was a little bit more, uh, I I feel like mine might've been a little more sheltered as a kid. Uh, I, well, I don't know. Like, uh, I lived on a lot of military bases. You know, I, I, uh, um, I, I think I learned about everything through. I think I learned uh, my introduction to the seedier elements in life were really like Cream Magazine and Circus Magazine. <laughs> oh God, I fucking remember <laughs> not those. Circus so much because that was really that wasn't good. But Cream had a uh, had a real seedy element, a real seedy side to it. Yeah, I remember. Well, I've, I mean, I searched everybody's room, so mine was like like Hustler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my dad had some really rank beyond Hustler. My mom didn't even know. My dad died, <laughs> and I knew where it all was hidden. I was like, what are you going to do with these, Mom? Assuming she knew. I The first Hustlers that I ever saw were uh, ones that I found at the dump. So there was a stash of Hustlers that I found at the dump, and so we, me and my friends hid them somewhere else in the same dump, but... We hit them, made made sure they were safe, like covered them with plastic, and uh, those that uh, you know, for uh, a, I don't know, eleven year old kid, those that's kind of traumatic and fascinating all at the same time. So we would we had I remember some one of our friends had stolen a pack of cool cigarettes from a store, and we had to have cool just because they were they were cool, <laughs> and uh, 
And so we would go into the woods and thumb through these Hustler magazines and smoke cool cigarettes. I feel bad for this generation that they don't, <laughs> they have to, they can just go on a laptop. It's like, it was a huge thing to find a stack of porn. Like it was. It was a precious treasure that we would guard with our lives. <laughs> we used to go around the neighborhood and ripping through people's garbage too and seeing if we could find any. I think we knew who to, who to who's garbage to fuck up. Oh, I mean, I am, I have a criminal mind, but that's pretty low down. <laughs> <laughs> Rifling through someone's tra- trash, looking, <laughs> looking for Playboys or uh, like a Sears catalog <laughs> for the underwear section. Oh yeah, I, did, yeah. I dug that too. Sure. When did you <laughs> sort of? Uh, <laughs> but when did? Because you went into music and like was was were you always writing? Was there always that interest, or was it sort of like a after? Uh, yeah. Well, I when I was in when I was in bands, I. I was always like one of the songwriters of the band, but I, um, yeah, I confess I am not. Uh, I am not a very good musician, and and I and I truly wasn't really even really interested in becoming a good musician. Like I had never jammed once in my life. Like, uh, like I played bass because the band that I wanted to be in needed a bass player, and. Uh, and I bought one, and we had a show about two weeks later. But they just taught me everything. So basically, I just would. I, I, I'm good at. I'm a quick study. I can learn how to play a song, and uh, but but what I could contribute was lyrics, because that's one of those things that people, some people have a, di- a difficult time with. I'm not saying they were always golden, um, but I did write a bunch of songs, but mostly lyrics, and, and and that from from the first band I was ever in. Is that because because of your latest book, the haiku book? Mm-hmm. I mean, were you did you study lyrics or poetry bef- while you were doing uh, writing songs, or did that you were just like fucking? I'm going to do this. Not once have I ever studied anything <laughs> <laughs> having to do with literature, or I mean, I I like I've, I've always loved to read, and <coughs> I don't think I, th- um, I went to. Um, college for one semester, one time. Uh, in between bands, uh, when I was in my, m- I don't know, mid-20s, I decided that maybe I should have a look at this, and I, and I took a psychology class, and I took a literature class, and, um, and I took one semester of each before I started up another band and just quit, but um, I was working at a record... <laughs> I was working at a record store in Phoenix and we, you know, it's one of those things you get records, but they also had t-shirts and all this other stuff came in. We got the shipment of t-shirts that came in and, uh, and, and usually they were just the usual black Sabbath and, and Randy Rhodes or whatever it was. And this particular shipment had, for some reason had some ALF t-shirts <laughs> from the TV show. And me and my friend, uh, Gerald Collier, who worked at the store with me, and later on we went and <coughs> later on we formed uh, the best kissers in the world, which went on to some notoriety in the in the early nineties. But th- there was a uh, Alf T-shirt that had a picture of Alf playing a guitar, and it just said, "I don't know, rock on, dude," or something on it like that. And they were so ridiculous that we basically just dared we we made a bet 
like who could wear this shirt the longest <laughs> would be the winner. And and so we both pitched in 20 bucks or something like that. And the, and the rules were uh, we would, uh, you could just couldn't take it off except for the shower. That was it. And we would check up on each other. Like we would, we would go over to each other's house in the middle of the night and bang on the door, make sure you're wearing your ALF shirt. <laughs> and the reason why I bring that up is because that, the the week that we started that was also the week that I started going to college. So I was a few years older than everybody in there, a couple years older, seemed like much, but I would, I would say I was 25 and they were 20 or 19 or something. And so the, the weird old guy who smelled like <laughs> bourbon in the morning who came to school wearing an ALF shirt every fucking day for the first couple of weeks he was in college. I eventually ended up winning the bet. I could have gone much longer than two weeks. I think I could have gone for months, but you couldn't wash it. That was also well. No, I didn't. I don't know if I can't remember the rules on that. But uh, yeah, I wore it straight the whole time. Took it off, take a shower, slept in it, everything, and uh, and that was my college experience. How, the, how did that shirt smell? I mean, I can't imagine that in Phoenix, by the way. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you're, you're you're boozing at night. I yeah. spill on myself as an as a forty five year old. <laughs> I I don't. Uh, I, I have a weird thing. I don't really smell. That's a good badly. Even you know even in in even without showering for quite some time. You're a lucky man. And I'm not just. I'm not bragging. It. I mean, other people will tell you that too. <laughs> I smell it's, pretty fast. It's rare that I smell. I obsessively take showers as well. Mm-hmm. I'll, I, now we have a drop, but I I've been known to take. Three to four a day, is that that's crazy, right? That is crazy. That's like uh, that's like you need to see someone crazy. Howard yes. Hughes crazy. <laughs> I also keep my urine in jars. <laughs> well, naturally. Uh, and, and just because the book, okay, I feel like we because <laughs> we got how uh, far are we into this without ever ta- without talking about anything yet? Uh, <laughs> half, we're almost halfway through. Oh fuck, let's get to work. But yeah, the book, which is incredible, and like I said, uh, which I no one knows this, but I've. There was something fucked up with the last time we recorded, so this should have been a completely different episode. But we got to talk about criminal elements. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which I think, makes me I think thrilled. We've been good. But <clears throat> it's a book of haikus. Yes. And like I told you, I forgot I was reading haikus because I couldn't read it fast enough. Like I was, <laughs> it's filthy at times, and it's. It, and Greg Dooley. I it, don't. We got to bring up Greg Dooley. <laughs> and Greg Dooley's photos. Yeah. It. it uh, I started writing. Um, well, I mean, I've written haikus throughout. I mean, again, without having studied poetry or or anything, I've I've written haiku for a long time. But um, when I finished writing my my novel, in case we die, I was uh, um, when I finished it, all of a sudden I had sort of nothing to do, and I and I'd been on a very strict regimen of writing every day, something, you know. Not 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 necessarily a thousand words, but I would write some notes or a sentence or something. I you know even on tour I would make the time to do that, and uh, so I was sort of going nuts, and I just decided that I was going to try that. There's there's an old exercise, a writer's exercise of write a haiku every day for a year. And since I was fairly new to Facebook at the time, I uh, I will post it up there and. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. Just all of a sudden, I started posting haiku without explanation and often strange and filthy and 
dirty and sad and and uh, uh and it caused a great deal of concern amongst my peers and my family i would get notes you know like little messages are are you okay <laughs> <laughs> but people started catching on after a while what i what i was up to and and uh, um and you know that that year went by and, and i think I, I ended up doing it for two and a half years before i sort of slowed my pace down now now i put one out there every couple of days or a couple times a week or whenever i fucking feel like it but uh uh and it's uh it's and it was a it it was amazing you know because the um but you know as a writer you being a writer yourself like i i find it when you get on when you have the discipline to do to, to write every day uh then um then all of a sudden you have content you have volume and that's that's you know that's where you that's where you start to work that's where the work starts so so doing it posting them on facebook also left me accountable to the couple of hundred people out there that were interested in me me doing that so if if i was late or i knew that if i forgot to do one one day i was going to get shit from a bunch of people so it you know it's it hardened my resolve when along the line did you go like all right maybe the, did you want to do a book or are you just like this exercise and then no, I, it, it, that was not the plan. But people, pe people liked it, and uh, and people started asking when I was going to publish it. And you know, that's uh, uh, and so then I started thinking about that, and and the the uh, well, and what's it, what is the trick to make making that haiku book interesting? Because I, I I mean I own I only own one other haiku book, and that's a. Uh, um, by uh, Richard Wright, who wrote Native Son, and he's he's you know, an amazing writer, and the and the and the work is really really strong, but it is also kind of a dull book because it's just hundreds and hundreds of haiku on on blank on pages. So, uh, at, when I was thinking about what to do, I also was uh, I was also um, I'm a big admirer of Greg Dooley's Instagram account. He's got it, it's he does. He kind of does the same thing as I was doing. He would he puts up photos and he doesn't put cap captions on it. He doesn't explain what he's doing. He just started doing it. So um, and some of them are you know, some creepy photos. There's some some sexy ones and you know and Greg is like a is like an international man of mystery. So you never know where his pictures. You know you never know where he is at any given time. So you could see a, you know all of a sudden there's a photo uh, on you know. Uh, on some beach in Mexico, all of a sudden there's a photo from a cemetery in in Paris, and and so and we're, we're friends, and I just started n noticing that um, that the tone and the the feel of his photos and and my haiku worked together real well. So um, when we were he was he was kind enough to record a couple of uh, chapters for the audiobook for In Case We Die. So when when I did my very first reading, he was also, um, it was at the Sub Pop uh, 25th anniversary party, and he was there for that, the, the band was playing. And so he was kind enough to do the, to do my first book reading with me. And uh, and so I just asked him while we were there, if, like, let's put these together in a book. That, that's how it started. And Sub Pop's putting out, which it's like it's the ultimate cool person book, because you got X's 
I forget. I always forget her name. The woman from X did. Exine. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm going to have to agree with you now. I mean, normally I wouldn't, but. I don't know why the woman from X's name won't come to me. I have nieces and nephews whose names I don't know. But it, and was this like because a lot of writers I talk to they all read poetry and are like really and I'm like I'm like should I read more poetry or they always say that's like the highest art of writing and I'm like should I write I'd feel like an asshole though I don't know why what but it's it is well I mean any writing is people any writing is like. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to be brave to show it to someone, but there is this, you have to, there's a certain amount of nerve that you have to have to, to give somebody, you know, like, like I was when, when I had finished in case we die and, and I did, I was, I got really lucky. I didn't have to show it to a bunch of, uh, to too many publishers and truth be known and, and, um, new writers or fledgling first time writers are going to really hate me for this, but, Really, the first publisher that I took it to, they picked it up right away. So, <laughs> Jerry Stoll at, got rejected eighty-five times for yeah. eighty fucking. Five, I don't know if he said that on the episode, I, but I was in shock by that. It, it's a, but it's a lot to ask, you know. Like handing someone, you know, if you think it's a tough, you know, giving somebody your your demo tape. When I was a young rock and roller, <laughs> giving someone your demo tape. Is a lot different than handing someone sixty-five thousand words to read. You know, I mean, it's, like, it's a lot to ask for someone to invest that kind of time in something. Uh, Did so you have to do a proposal or any of that book? Cause no, those, those things are fucking horrible. Mm. That's worse than anything. It is. No, I, ha I, I, um, I have this manager uh, by the name of Rachel Flotard, who is a musician. She was a musician in Seattle and in a very uh, well-loved and well-respected. Uh, character on the scene and uh, she is and and the reason why I wanted her to be my manager because she's the ultimate good cop like I personally am not necessarily the most likable character but she is lovable everyone loves her and so she went to Fanographics and asked them to read it and you can't say no to Rachel Flotard so uh, they read it <laughs> and they ended up falling for it so the um yeah, like I know that uh, a bunch of writers are going to be either cursing my name right now or just banging their heads on the desk because <laughs> it should not be that easy. But that's kind of the way it went for me. And 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 with with this book at the same event where I proposed that we uh, proposed the idea to Greg that we do a book of photos <laughs> and haiku together, um, Jonathan Poneman from Sub Pop approached me. I don't know, half hour later and said that he'd been reading haikus a lot and that we should do a book. <laughs> and so Have you always uh, had this kind of look? Yeah, apparently. I don't know. I, I yeah. I, I just I sort of fall ass backwards into a lot of stuff. Not not that I don't work hard, but uh uh yeah, it's ridiculous. That's and, like and if, if 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 I wasn't me then I would really I would really hate me and find my find myself uh, despicable. Were you ever intimidated by the? Because writing a novel's a bit. That's like. That's a goddamn chore. Yeah. It's epic. Uh, well, you know, I've 
I started, I mean, it's, it helps. It's something that I thought about and I had always wanted to do. And then, um, when, uh, when Amy Ferris died, who was, you know, uh, my friend and someone I loved and cherished dearly when she, when she passed away, it, it was sort of a, it was a wake up call for me to, and, and, and it was the first time I sort of realized that time was not necessarily our friend. And if I was going to do something, if I was going to do this, then I needed to start and I needed to do it every day. And, and that's what, that was what kicked it off. You know, I mean, I had actually, I had been fucking around sort of writing it on and off for a little while, but that was the, 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 the genesis of, of me sitting down and doing it seriously all the every day now um i waited till it was about till i figured i was about halfway through and then i started telling friends because there's a certain amount like once you tell someone that you're writing a book then you have to finish it <laughs> right i mean because one of the great motivators for guys like you and me i'm going to lump you into a category with me is uh, we just, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be embarrassed by, uh, by not doing what I say I'm going to do. You can live in LA and you could do that for <laughs> t 30, 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, so really, uh, so I was, I mean, it, I was on a mission, you know, in part, you know, part of the, part of the, part of what I wanted to do, uh, it, with that book was sort of, um, give some people insight into her life and in at the same time my life as well but there were I, I i just couldn't let i couldn't let her memory fade away like that i wanted to do something to preserve the legend you know i mean dave alvin did that when he did that um chris gaffney tribute record his his best friend passed away you know a few i think the same year as as amy but he you know it it, be, it becomes a, a labor of love to 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 tell the world about someone who was special to you, and his way was through that record, and my way was through that novel, and I just ha it just had to be done, and and if if no one would have published it, then I would have published it myself, and I'd I'd saved up a bunch of money, and it was like I was it was gonna come out, but I just got lucky and had someone put it out for me. Did you were you surprised by how well that was received? Because it seemed like all I saw was great reviews. Yeah, you know, I mean, I got a couple of stinkers, but uh, <laughs> really, uh, well, well, only only really one, no two, one like really ruthless uh, hack job, um, from a uh, a paper in Seattle, and I can't even think of the name of the paper right now, but it it was kind of a weird, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy in the article, the guy went went so far to mention uh, that to to comment that I was um, not only that I was untalented, but that I was ugly as well. <laughs> so, so, so I, I sort of dismissed that whole thing. But uh, and I also got another. I got a a, a great review on um, uh, uh, Goodreads with one star. And uh, the review, I, I can't remember it exactly, but it starts off with UG and ends with UG. <laughs> so, 
One one day I'll put that up on my Facebook page, but um, that's it's kind of my favorite. Heard Kevin Smith railing on uh, reviewers, <laughs> just saying like you work in the 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 easiest form of like you use puns. You have this first act, middle act, fucking attack on people, and he's yeah. like, like fuck off. Who are you? <laughs> and it's kind of like it is like I'm like who like if you ever research like when I did shows in Chicago, I'd research who some of these reviewers were, and they would like. It'd be failing actors, and it's yeah, like well, it was just kind of like, well, you're just bitter and didn't do what you wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally, I would, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I've never, I've never written a, a review of anything, so I don't know. But, but the I wrote record reviews for a while, and I yeah. felt really dirty about it because <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck do I know? I really yeah, needed may- the money. Maybe if you're going to write, uh, if you're going to write. If you're going to critique books and records, you should also make. You should also write books and make records. Maybe that. Maybe that should be. Yeah, the I felt a bit of a fraud. Like I know a lot of music. I did get to give. Uh, but then again, if you do like, um, uh, you know, Lester Bangs wrote great music journalism, and he made records too, and that's kind of a shame because it would have been better if he didn't. <laughs> 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 and I can say that because I've made records. Uh, when it, has the people reviewed the new book at all, or is it, or is it? Uh, it's not even really out yet. It's just uh, it comes out on the twenty third of September, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, and uh, so, really, I mean, the people who pre order it, uh, uh, I know, are getting it because I'm getting some notes and messages from people. And uh, I don't know. I, uh, I don't. Um, it, that's it's going to be a weird one because so some people just don't like poetry and some people don't like haiku. I, I, but this, I have a pretty good feeling about it because I mean, uh, if I don't, if I do say so myself, it turned out it's beautiful. I mean, Greg's photos are in, incredible, uh, and they work really well with the with the with the poems and 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 uh, Victor, you know, Victor from uh, um, Camper Van Beethoven did the design and it's beautiful. And Exine did her fancy lettering for it it's um yeah that's the thing is it's a, it, it, the entire book is a piece of art like it's i don't know it's like i wouldn't even you, you forget you're reading a book of haikus and because it is it's like it's i, I was going to say titillating like i guess i mean it is titillating <laughs> i just never use that word so it threw me off <laughs> it has tit in it <laughs> but it's it's like i said it's like a thrilling read like uh, it's you i'm like flying through it and nice. I, I i think i mentioned this at the time i f- we fucked up the recording but I, I i lumped in you on the fuck up when it was really <laughs> <laughs> but like i couldn't i had to go back and read stuff because i was going so quickly i i i was a little um self-conscious about publishing um haiku because they're well i i obviously enjoy them but it was it was uh was I was talking to the great Lou Beach about it, who's fantastic, you know, artist and and a great writer too, and 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 I was talking about I, and I was sort of fishing for whether this was a good idea to to do or not, and and he put it to me in the in the best of ways, which was that they're just short stories, like really fucking short stories. That's a great and and uh, and that. As soon as he said that, then it, then I was it was I was off to the races because that that validated it for me, and and I realized that he's right, and and Greg's photos are short stories too. There's the, his eye, 
and and uh, his his eye for 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 beauty in odd places uh, is extraordinary. Do you know what he uh, shoots those pictures on? Is because Kelly was my girlfriend was guessing some kind of. Uh, some kind of iPhone. <laughs> uh, um, he he does it. Uh, he I think he does it on his. He does some on his phone, and he I think he has a camera too. I I, I haven't really talked ab- about the 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 gory details with him. I just pick out the ones that I like. Yeah, she. Yeah, well, I can't go into it either because I don't know what the fuck <laughs> she was talking about anyway. <laughs> now, when because you you're into the second book, which is a prequel of. No, it's a, it's, a, it's just continues where continues. the last one left off. So I want a prequel. I, guess I just want five year old prequel where your five has nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the third one will be a prequel, but uh, the um, no, it just it picks up basically where the last one ended, and uh, uh, it's gonna be. Um, there's parts of, about it that make me nervous to put it out there because people have gotten really attached to those characters, you know. And um, spoiler alert: one of them's not there anymore, and <laughs> and it it is. Uh, uh, and I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get spiritual on this next one, and I'm gonna get a little bit spooky, and and uh, uh, I, I hope it works. Are you a spiritual sort of? And I just felt like Barbara Walters. Are you? Sp- <laughs> but because uh, you talked the last time we talked, you mentioned something about you t- spoke of Wayne Kramer's sort of spiritual. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we all are, whether we admit it or not. You know, like, but I mean, you know, we were. It's funny. Uh, the the subject of Wayne Kramer, I noticed from listening to your podcast, comes up quite a bit. I mean, almost every guest talks about him. So let's let's get into the Wayne Kramer <laughs> part of the program here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, you know, to me, when I was uh, when I was a young ne'er do well of seventeen, eighteen years old, I wanted to be Wayne Kramer. I wanted to be the I wanted to be the MC Five Wayne Kramer. And I and, and except for the fact that I couldn't really play guitar or write songs nearly as well, I did all the other parts. <laughs> that he did. <laughs> I, did I, I took, pl- you know, uh, you know, we have matching political views, matching, you know, everything. And if I could have, you know, if I could have joined up with John Sinclair and, and built bombs and blown up uh, uh, post offices, I would have done that too. Uh, and and today, Wayne Kramer at age, what is he, 65, 66? Three, I thought, somewhere in the 60s. Somewhere in there. Uh, and and today I still want to be just like Wayne Kramer. He's a he's a totally new person, but he's like to me he's like he's the he's the penultimate human being. He's just he is he he gives everyone around him a calming effect, you know, <laughs> and he's wise beyond uh, anybody's years. And I just I you know I feel. I feel like a better human being in his presence. So I aspire to that too. I've always, my whole life, I've always just wanted to be Wayne Kramer. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's weird. How I'm working on it. When I first interviewed him and got involved with Joe Guitar Doors, I was just like, I was like, you don't do fucking, I mean, about myself. Yeah. I don't do fucking anything. Like, I'm like, Here, this guy's killing himself for that, his charity. And I'm like, I maybe recycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- 
someone to look up to, something to aspire to. Yeah, I, they must have freaked the fucking like the f- they were pretty loud. F- like people must have been freaked out by them because there was nothing like that really, especially the running around with rifles, like a rock band with rifles right, right. in '66. Started, I mean, '66 through what the early '70s. I mean, and if you watch footage of them playing, there's that that famous footage of them playing the black and white in the park. Nobody rocks as hard as that to this day. It's fucking insane. And Wayne Wayne plays guitar like Hendrix and dances like James Brown at the same fucking time. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Were any of the bands you played in like that badass? No. <laughs> I just like every dude in the world wants to be in a band, and I'm like, well, you know, I was in this I was in this band uh, called Cat Butt, and we were on Sub Pop, so that would have been uh, in the late, uh, very late '80s, early '90s, and and you know, we probably we had a lot of MC5 qualities other than you know the songs and the musicianship. I'm not saying the other guys didn't have some musicianship. I personally did not, but uh, uh, we aspired to that, and we were we. I, I think we would have. I think we would have admitted to trying to be the uh, the you know Seattle's answer to the MC5, and, and that's not me saying that we succeeded. I'm just saying that's what we were trying to do. It's <laughs> not a bad thing to <laughs> yeah. strive for. Now, just to wrap up, where people can get your book through Sub Pop. March or it's March. What fucking month? I get <laughs> married in March. September. So. <laughs> September. Uh, yeah, you can go. You can order it from Sub Pop now. Uh, uh, you can go to all your regular places that you buy books, and uh, like it'll be on Amazon. It'll be. <coughs> it'll be at uh, record stores. It'll be at if you. It'll be at cool bookstores. I, I'll say cool bookstores. And uh, here's how you. Ju- here's what you do. And like, I'm not saying you should do this, but this is what I would do. You go to your local bookstore. If they don't have the book, demand that they order it. If they don't order it, then come back later on that night when everyone's gone and set fire to the place. <laughs> <laughs> if you, yeah, and smash a couple windows out too. Yeah, well, you're gonna have to smash some windows in order to get the the Molotov cocktails in there. But um, that's, like I said. That's what I would do. I'm not suggesting that people do that. All right. Uh, and Mr. Danny Bland at Twitter. Uh, yeah, at, at Mr. Danny Bland. And uh, uh, you can, I'm on the Facebook. And uh, my, my Instagram is pretty goddamn funny, too. Yeah. Thank you, Danny Bland. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Please go to my website, themattdwyer.com. Follow me on Twitter. All things Matt Dwyer are on my website. Please listen and be good and donate to my show and use my Amazon link if you can. Thank you. I love you. Bye.
branch of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.